electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people are my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Has big tech gotten too powerful? There's no denying that Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and Tesla certainly rule this market. Even on a day like today, Dow slipped 266 points. S&P shed 0.51%, and the Nasdaq still managed to finish positive, positive territory. Why? Because these kinds of companies were on fire. This morning on Squawk Box, Rick Reeder, he's a chief investment officer of global fixed income at BlackRock and a real smart and nice guy, said that Google and Microsoft might as well be countries because they make so much money. Countries. After those trip quarters they reported last night, I got to agree. Although you could say the same thing, countries, about all the big tech names in the trillion dollar club and Facebook, too. Although it's $880 billion valuation because the stock's down means it's more of a third world country. But when you get that powerful, the politicians start gunning for you, right? I mean, that's we you know that's what's happening right now. We have everything going wrong for these guys. The conventional wisdom says we're likely to see some bipartisan action in Congress to crack down on big tech on antitrust grounds. Two weeks ago, a group of senators proposed a law that would prevent Amazon and Google from favoring their own products and services in search results. Bipartisan thrashing! Apple's been accused of steering business towards its own products on the App Store. Facebook's facing scrutiny from the FTC on top of the analyst parade of bad headlines about their, steady, uh, their safety practices or lack thereof. Only Microsoft and Tesla have gotten away with whatever they're doing without coming under serious fire, despite what often seems to be Elon Musk's best efforts. You know what, though? I think Washington's looking at these companies all wrong. Yes, they are powerful. No denying that. Yes, they should probably face more regulation. But I think we should be aiming to create clear rules for digital commerce rather than aiming to cut them off at the knees. In any other developed country, these companies would be treated as national champions, treasures even. After living through an era where the only thing America seemed to make right were toothpaste, deodorant, diapers, soda, movies, I'm actually proud that America dominates the tech industry. So I want to take readers' comments one step further. Forget countries. These companies are empires. And for the most part, they're benevolent empires. 
Rather than trying to break them up into little pieces or prosecute them to death for growing too quickly, I think we should study them to figure out what makes them so special. And that's what we're going to do right now. Why don't we start with the two that reported last night, Microsoft and Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google. Microsoft was the star of last night's show, delivering what I'd argue is actually the best quarter of any company, any company in 2021. Everybody knows that Microsoft dominates office software, but after that quarter, we know that the LinkedIn business has become the default way for professionals to find jobs in an era where COVID has transformed how companies hire. Then there's Azure, the cloud business. It wasn't that long ago that CEO Satya Nadella made the ridiculously bold claim to me that one day Microsoft would have an $18 billion in cloud service business. At the time, he was talking annually, but Microsoft did $20 billion last night. <laughs> That's a phenomenal group of businesses. Throw in the fact that they got $130 billion in cash, I think the stock's worth every penny of its $2.4 trillion valuation. Someone asked on Twitter today why we aren't selling any Microsoft for the charitable trust, which, of course, you can follow by joining our brand new investment club. I'll answer that question with a question. Why? Why would we sell Microsoft? It's a monster, but one that's very friendly to shareholders, and it's already survived its showdown with antitrust authorities 20-odd years ago. Why? Or how about Alphabet? Initially, Wall Street seemed disappointed because the cloud business was a little weaker than expected. Came in a couple hundred million dollars short. But when you're a company with Alphabet, like Alphabet, with $136 billion in cash, well, that's barely a drop in the bucket. I couldn't believe the stock was down. I was like, oh, my God, stop selling, you idiots. Anyway, these guys own search thanks to Google. They own search. They own video with YouTube, which would be worth about $300 billion all by itself if you value it like Netflix. Is Alphabet a monopoly? Hey, uh, no, I mean, you could always use Bing for search. Uh, even though I'm not that much of a masochist. Next is Apple. Don't think of it as a smartphone play like the analysts do. Apple's an operating system that helps you take control of your day-to-day life, whether you access it through your phone or your computer or your watch. They got everything, payments, entertainment, news, sports, games, healthcare. Just like Google, nobody's putting a gun in your head with, and making a stick with Apple. Hey, you can always buy a Samsung. It's just that Apple's got the best product, the best ecosystem. I suspect they'll report a good quarter, and if there are any problems, it'll only be because they couldn't get enough components to meet demand. Apple had $166 billion of cash in marketable securities the last time that country reported. They'll figure it out. Tesla's easy. There are many other companies that want a piece of the electric vehicle business, but Tesla dominates it because they've got superior technology, superior design, and superior state of mind. I remember when Japan and Germany owned the luxury car market, so I'm not shedding any tears now that American companies taking share and even opening its own plant in Berlin. Feels good to buy a luxury car from a business that wasn't on the wrong side of World War II, doesn't it? Then there's Facebook. It's tough to tell what space it dominates. I mean, the catch-all term social media has dogged Facebook since its inception. I think of it as a repository of thoughts, experiences, events, and amusements, currently in two dimensions, but soon in three dimensions which we'll hear and see about at their Metaverse event tomorrow. Of course, some of those thoughts and experiences are horrifying, and Facebook needs to do more to prevent its users from inciting violence. But in the end, it's a way for everyone to tell their story. And like Google search business, it can help sell a huge number of goods for small and medium-sized enterprises. Facebook's accumulated $58 billion war chest. I think they'll spend a major chunk of that on the Metaverse. Again, more on that tomorrow. I think it'll blow you away. Finally, let's not forget about Amazon, please, which dominates online retail by giving you the lowest prices on the best goods with the fastest shipping times. Uh, on the cloud infrastructure side, they're number one. Microsoft second. Google third. Are they a monopolist? I honestly don't care. I don't. Wake me up when someone else can do it better. So now let's put it all together. Microsoft is the kingpin 
of the operating system backed by the cloud. Apple's the empire of the smartphone with all its attendant services. Facebook's the repository of your identity. Tesla's the best technology delivery system that you can drive. Amazon's the online mall backed by cloud infrastructure. And Alphabet is all things search. Now, these companies have all created incredible products that we can't live without, with the exception of Tesla, although once you drive what you want it. They are gargantuan businesses that are, for the most part, loved and respected by the most important people, their customers. They've replaced Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, and even Hollywood as American icons. The bottom line, you want to hate big tech for being too powerful? Go right ahead. But I think it's insane that our government's targeting them. America's finally good at making something again. We should be helping these companies take over the world, not kneecapping them. And even if you despise big tech, you have to admit these companies have created more wealth than any other enterprises in the history of this great nation. Let's take some calls. I say we go to Daniel in New York. Daniel. Yeah, booyah, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. We love your show. Oh, man, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, my question is about Clorox. I've owned it for a while. Um, It went way up. I sold it, went down, I bought it, and then it went down some more. And I just wonder, should I hold it? Should I add to it? I think you should wait to see how the quarter is. Um, A lot of these companies that are uh, in that business just can't seem to find any footing this one yields 2.9. Why not wait until it yields, say, 3.3, 3.4? That's where they've been stopping. Hey, let's go to Don in Oregon. Don. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Don. How about you? Ah, terrific. Thanks. Got a simple question for you. Sure. It's uh, Intel. I don't know whether to buy, sell, or hold. And I thought I'd get, get your opinion. Okay, well, Intel is um, run... By a new man, Pat Gelsier, he's an old hand at uh, Intel. It's going to take a lot of rebuilding here. So what I would tell you is, do you, you they, they kid, it's, they're not going to be in the playoffs this year. They may not make the playoffs next year. Why not be in the stock that is the Super Bowl champion? Why don't you be in, or at least in the Super Bowl? Why not pick either NVIDIA or AMD? The latter, I think, represents good value even up here. Stefano in New York. Stefano. Professor Kramer, been watching you since Cudlow and Kramer since I was a baby and I'm an adult. And my wow. question is about PayPal, the acquisition of Pinterest. It was what took uh, a dive from 270 to now. Then they said it's off the table and it's still at 230-240. What do we do with this stuff? It's a, it's a quandary. It's owned by my Chapel Trust. We've been telling uh, members of the club, which you can follow, you should join the investment club, by the way, that it's close. It's close to where we want to buy more. We don't have a big position. We want to be big in it, but not yet. We want it to come down a little more just because we're still shaking out some of these people who bought it for because it was hot. Some like it hot. We like it cold. Walt in Florida. Walt. Hello, Jim. Booyah from Seminole, Florida. Seminole, Florida. Thank you for taking my call. All right. What's up? In light of the huge advances China is making in all areas of technology and aerospace in particular, do you think Lockheed Martin is a good investment right here? And does LMT have legs to run? Man, they think they've just crushed this thing. Uh, Jim Takelitz, very, very able person. I saw him last week at dinner. He's a terrific guy. He was in American Tower. He made a ton of money for us. I'd say this is a very good level. 3.3% yield. I bet you it doesn't get to 4% yield, meaning I don't think it's going to down, go down much more. I think it's a good level to buy. All right, listen. Big tech rules this market. And call me crazy, but I'm actually proud that these companies are made right here in America. Maybe you should show some pride, too. On Man Money Tonight, PBG covers everything from autos to homes. 
What could fears of tightness in the industry impact the company's bottom line? I'm going to get a read on the space with the CEO. And Prologis, you may never even heard of these guys. They're the biggest. They had a special event earlier today with leaders across the logistics industry. They know supply chain. They're going to tell us what the heck's going on. And Thermo Fisher, yes, the PCR fame, reported top and bottom line beat this morning with some bullish guidance. I'm putting the stock to the test with a CEO who saw it all coming and did very well for his shareholders. It's David Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What does it mean when the inflation losers see their stocks rebound hard from their lows? Consider the case of PPG Industries. That's the Pittsburgh-based baker of paints and coatings that we've liked so much. It's been hit hard by all sorts of supply constraints. In many ways, PPG is the worst of both worlds here. Skyrocketing prices for the raw materials, also declining demand because the companies that use their products, think automakers, can't make as many as they'd like to because of various shortages. Think about the semis. And that's why the stock has had a tough summer. However, last Wednesday, the company reported a truly good quarter, a nice top and bottom line beat. Now, look, it did introduce a new full year forecast that was weaker than expected, but the stock rallied 3 percent. The things now jumped more than 20 bucks from its lows earlier this month. Can it keep roaring? Let's go straight to the source with Michael McGarry, the chairman and CEO of PPG Industries. Get a clearer picture of where his company said Mr. McGarry, welcome back to Mad Money. Uh, thanks, Jim. It's always great to be back. 
I got to tell you, Michael, when I watched the stock react, and you know, our mutual friend Frank Nitsch from Fermium, he and I were, were thinking, now what happens? Will people say the worst is over, or will people say uh, there's more trouble? And I, th- I told him what I think would happen is people are thinking about 2022, and they recognize th- that the problems that you've had are going to go away sometime 2022. So you better get in it now. Yeah, I think it's clearly that people are looking forward. I mean, you have two things to think about. One, raw materials are going to start to flatten out. That's going to be good for us because we're getting a lot of price. But more importantly, we have a strong order book. And so when I look at demand, whether it's cars, whether it's planes, I mean, there's going to be a lot of latent demand that we're uh, going to see in 2022 that we haven't been able to fill in 2021 because of raw material shortages. Now, can you explain to people how there could be such a disparity? Uh, you know, you've been at it for a long time, and you're, you're really the best there is. And yet you were still off very big about the uh, $150 million supply chain and customer production. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be $350 million. I think you, you, maybe you can explain to people how, how crazy it is out there that, that you could be off that much. Well, Jim, you know, normally for our automotive customers, when they give us a 90-day forecast, they're about 90 percent right. When they're 60 days out, they're like 95 percent, almost 98 percent. They haven't even been able to give us forecasts for a week or two. Uh, So they've been off a lot. And uh, they're not the only ones. We see the same thing in the appliance segment. We see that in a number of our other uh, in-use segments, especially think about traffic paint. I mean, we're out there trying to paint roads, but don't have the paint. And so that's been a challenge for us. And uh, our suppliers, which are major you know, suppliers, they're having troubles getting their uh, factories back in the kind of shape it was if back in 2019. Now, I guess also there's production curtailments in China that no one expected. How are you doing with those? Well, that has been a bit of a surprise to us. You know, when they came out with the dual control, which is two factors. One is how much total energy they consume. And the second one, how much energy per unit Uh, they want to have. You know, they started this a lot earlier than we expected. You know, they do have the Olympics coming up, and they are trying to uh, pretty things up before the Olympics, so that's uh, driving the early start to this. But the good news is we generally run two shifts out of three in China in most of our facilities, so we'll be able to run uh, the evening shifts and the, uh, you know, midnight shifts and uh, be able to get all the energy we need to meet our customer demand. So we're actually in very good shape there. We have a number of facilities in China. So I'm feeling better about that. Uh, but what we need is we need to get our raw material supply chains uh, worked out first. Yeah. Well, tonight Ford reported and uh, Ford reported a really good number. They reinstituted dividend uh, saying that there's some chip shortage ease, but still says 2023. Uh, when I spoke to Mary Barrow at, at GM, again, same story. I mean, is it possible that 2022 could be a lost year? I actually, you know, when we talk to our customers, they're not that hopeful about the first half of 2022 for automotive, but they're a lot more hopeful on the back half of 2022. But, you know, we're, we're watching a number of things in this area to make sure that uh, they're able to meet their needs. Um, but we're going to be there for them regardless of when it does crank up. In the meantime, we got to talk about the, the PPG housing, painting, because, oh. I mean, there you've been able to take price. Uh, I, I think that's you were so right to double down on that business. Michael, that is looking like a genius move. Well, Jim, you know, we've been able to get substantial price in our architectural business. We got 6% price across all the PPG. We're going to get about 9%, 8 to 9% in the uh, next quarter, and we're going to continue to stack price on top of price. Uh, our architectural businesses around the world have been performing at a very high level. 
You know, our same-store sales in the U.S. alone were up 10%. If you look at Mexico, we had double-digit growth there. You know, in Europe, we're continuing to uh, perform very well. And, and that's with a lack of raw materials. So when we get raw materials, we'll be doing even better. So I'm, I'm really excited about that business. Well, it's been very, right, very good for shareholders. Uh, there's a moment in your conference call from October 21st where analysts is trying to figure out what really is the supply chain. What does it mean? And you say that you had 95 force majeures in Q1. Now, right. how could there be that many companies that couldn't get it together to deliver what you, what you <laughs> rightfully deserve? Yeah, unfortunately, we do buy from a lot of companies. And uh, when you think about, you know, the hurricane impact, that's been a major one. The Gulf Coast uh, freeze uh, from February has still had a challenge. We have a number of suppliers in China that were caught off guard with the dual control so a number of these things are very challenging for us. And, and think about it from a paint perspective. Normal formula might have 20 raw materials in it. If you're missing one of the 20, you can't make anything. It's not like you can go with 19 of them. You have to have all 20. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten rid of a, a half dozen force majeures, but we're still above 90. I think we're at 92 force majeures right now across the company, across the globe. Well, look, I, I think that what the stock says is that uh, Michael McGarry is going to make a lot of money next year and that the uh, tyranny of supply chain will end. Uh, in the meantime, the demand, we, you not once ever question any demand for housing, for autos, right? I mean, the demand is incredibly strong. Our demand across the board, even you think about our packaging business, so the switch from single-use plastics to uh, uh, you know, aluminum cans and for food has been very strong. I mean, our, our demand in our packaging business is up double digits. Our industrial business, think about appliances, how long it's going to take you to get an appliance right now. Very strong demand. There's hardly a supply chain that I'm looking at from our side. You know, our refinished business, you get an accident, repaint the car. You know, that every time the uh, economy gets uh, unlocked, if you will, whether it's in India, Malaysia, Australia, you know, we see immediately miles driven go up, accidents go up, and our refinish business. So we, we are very bullish about next year, not just in refinish, but think about planes. MRO is getting better. And, uh, you know, I don't think until 2023, but they're going to start building the big planes again. And when they do, that's another catalyst for our future growth. Plus, you have our five acquisitions we've done in the past uh, 18 months. Well, that's why I think that people decided, you know what, I can't wait any longer. i got to start buying. That is always how it does end in the stock bottoms. Michael McGarry, Chairman, President and CEO of PPG Industries, thank you so much for coming back on Mad Money, sir. Thank you, Jim. Stocks bottom ahead of when the good news occurs. This stock has put in a definitive bottom ahead of what I think is going to be a very good 2022. But you can't wait for things to be good to make money. Mad Money's back in here. Coming up, buyer beware or buyer be warehouse? Kramer sets his sights on a stock that plays a key role in the supply chain. Next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's relief that the White House finally started taking action to sort out the current supply chain nightmare. I don't know who else could really do it. But I'm even more encouraged by the fact that private enterprises on the case. Take Prologis. This is the Kramer Fave logistics-focused real estate investment trust that owns warehouses and fulfillment centers all over the world. And then it leases to companies like Amazon, FedEx, UPS. Now, we've been recommending this stock for ages, and it has been a terrific call every step of the way, up 45% over the last year, including a monster 15% gain just since the beginning of October. Now, by the way, it doesn't hurt that Prologis reported a magnificent quarter just a couple weeks ago. More important, earlier today, Prologis hosted a special event where leaders across the logistics industry got together to discuss the supply chain crisis and figure out how to fix it. So did they make any progress? Let's check in with Hamid Mogadam. Now, Hamid is the chairman and CEO of Prologis. We'll learn more about this event because I've got to tell you, maybe this is where we finally start getting this thing solved. Hamid Mogadam, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's good to be back. Sir, you have a unique view on this whole issue, and not just because logistics space in the U.S. is effectively sold out, as you said, uh, warehouse space sold out, demand at all-time high. But you can help us try to figure out, uh, is there anything that's going to end this nightmare? Well, eventually, yes, because a lot of people are really working hard on this problem, including most of our customers and, and the like. Uh, but it's not going to happen quickly. And uh, I think this surge in demand that we saw, uh, you know, after the vaccinations, um, together with the interruption in supply that we saw at the beginning of COVID in terms of manufacturing, those two things together collided and we just put the Christmas season on top of all that. So it's really messed up right now. It's nobody's really nobody's fault. This has never happened before. Uh, and people are working hard to fix it. But I think it's going to be a while before things are normalized. Your CFO in a conference call, in the earnings call, October 15th, had the single best analogy I have heard about this. He talked about the, the big, long hose. Somebody turned off the water and turned it back on. Can you, this is the, if you could explain this to people, this is the best way to understand what, what happened here. Sure. You know, um, supply chains have gotten really long uh, because of globalization uh, over the last 30 or 40 years. They've gotten longer and longer. Before, you know, cars were made in Detroit and sold in L.A. That was about the length of the supply chain. Now they're not only being made in Asia and Europe and all that, but every product is made out of thousands of components that need to come together to make a finished product from different places. And until the very last piece is in, you don't have that product to, uh, ready to be sold. So the fragmentation of the supply chain and its extension means that you've got, in effect, a hose that's connected to a bib that was turned off for the first six months uh, of COVID. And it was one of these hoses that shrivels up. 
So somebody turned off the water, and obviously the whole thing shriveled out, and, and all of a sudden somebody woke up and said, I need all the things that I didn't buy uh, in the last six months, and that was really post-vaccination. So uh, somebody turned on the faucet, but by the time the water sort of makes it through this uh, hose and extends that hose, there's going to be very little water that comes out at the other end, and you need more water because, just to extend that analogy, the ground is really dry. You need more water than you needed before because you haven't sold any of this stuff for a while and people are really excited to buy them. And Christmas just exaggerates that. So I love that analogy. Yeah, well, I think that Prologis, uh, I don't want to call you a beneficiary of, of what's wrong. I want to say that you're the best operator there is. If I were to go to some of these uh, Prologis warehouses, like the ones I, I happen to have a, a place in uh, – in middle of Pennsylvania, right near maybe what well, looks like to be one of your largest ones. And I mean, I just see there's just there's hundreds of trucks there. What are they doing? <laughs> well, you know, when you push a button or when you get on a phone or when you go to a store even and want something, you know, that stuff doesn't get magically beamed in from anywhere. Uh, of course, it feels that way maybe to you and to me as a consumer, because it sort of normally happens. We don't have to worry about how it happens. All of a sudden, every headline, every newspaper article, every show is about the supply chain. I mean, most people hadn't heard of the supply chain until about six, nine months ago. So it is pervasive. It affects every single um, you know, part of our lives. Everything in your studio probably came through a warehouse at some point. So, I mean, 2.5% of global GDP goes through our buildings. And uh, it, that would be even a higher percentage of the goods GDP. So everything needs to get to you either over an uh, electronic uh, line, uh, over the Internet, information. Mm -hmm. But every physical good, unless you beam it up, needs to come through some warehouse to get to you. All right, so and I mean, I'm making you, I'm making you Portsar. Up. I'm making you Portsar right now. West Coast Portsar. You have unlimited power to do whatever you want. What would you do? What are three things would you do to make this go away? Well, you've got to make sure that there's enough labor to unload these, uh, these ships. Um, you've got to make sure there are enough uh, truck drivers to take these uh, containers off the port area and into the warehouses that we have. And labor is probably the biggest bottleneck right now. Uh, shortage of drivers uh, and short shortage of warehouse workers. There's a shortage of every kind of labor. Um, so... So demand came back to work, but labor didn't come back to work by and large. So that's that's the problem I would focus on. All right. Well, we got to find these people. This thing's going to go on forever. But the one thing that is certain is, is that your company was ready for it. Uh, ready for it, by the way, globally, because you're everywhere. And I'm so glad we yeah. recommend you the whole way because you are just a, you work. You run an unbelievable company, sir. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. All right. That is, that is Hamid Mogadon. We have been recommending this stock forever uh, because he taught us. He taught us the supply chain. Prologis. Mad Money's back in for the break. Coming up, Kramer's no mad scientist, but this stock might make you some mad money in or out of the laboratory. The CEO of Thermo Fisher joins the show next.
is the time of year when we start looking for stocks that have been anointed as winners by Wall Street. The ones that are likely to keep roaring through the holidays. Stocks like Thermo Fisher Scientific. That's a top maker of life science in- instruments and lab equipment. Hey, they got some a lot of new stuff going with contract uh, with uh, pharmaceuticals. Now, these guys have made a fortune from the pandemic. They got their own COVID tests, and they've also made the expensive machines that drug companies need to develop vaccines and medicines. That's what we got to spend more time on. This morning, Thermo Fisher reported a glorious quarter. A dollar eight earnings beat off a of $4.68 basis, stronger than anticipated organic revenue growth, up 7% year over year when the Wall Street was looking for shrinkage. Every single one of the divisions came in better than expected. On top of that, management raised their full year forecast substantially. While the stock only ended the day slightly higher, that's because, well, it held an investor day last month where they issued some incredibly bullish long-term guidance. So you had to expect the quarter would be, well, let's just say building a little bit. Can the stock keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Mark Casper, the bankable chairman and CEO of Thermo Fisher Scientific, to learn more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Casper, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. All right. Well, Mark, you really... I like to say you covered the waterfront on this pandemic, and a lot of people were afraid that once the pandemic wound down, we wouldn't need all these PCR machines, and Thermo Fisher were going back to being some sort of company that was just doing okay. It looks like it's the opposite. You are accelerating your organic growth when a lot of people felt that it had to decline. What is driving things here? So, Jim, the team is doing a great job of executing for our customers. If you think about we played a very large role in the pandemic, and because of the strong growth we've had, we've been able to invest very substantially in our products, in new factories, new capabilities, and, and that's already paying off with another quarter of very strong uh, revenue growth and a very, very bullish outlook. And you bought one of my absolute favorite companies, one that I recommended when it came public, PPD Acquisition. This is going to be another leg for your great company. Why don't you describe to us, I mean, it's biggest $20 billion acquisition, what Thermo will look like after, the, after you guys all get together and start doing, let's say, 2022. Yeah, so we are very excited about our acquisition of PPD. Um, we're expecting to close this quarter, and it's our largest acquisition in our history. Um, it will bring 30,000 amazing colleagues to our company um, and a leader in the clinical research services area, very complementary to serving our pharmaceutical and biotech customers. Our combined company will have $20 billion of revenue just serving pharma and biotech customers and enabling the important new medicines that have come out to market as long as well as the many other things the company does. So where will that fit in in terms of uh, the arc of a company Building a, a drug business. So would you bring in Thermo Fisher much earlier than before? I mean, Thermo Fisher is going to be involved, I guess, in every single aspect from from the beginning until the end of, of a company developing a new drug. Yeah. So, Jim, today, the role that we play, we start out at the very early research. We equip the laboratories. We provide the instruments, the reagents used to do the early research. And as you know, the concepts become real we actually help with the development work in our sites to actually develop the molecules for the biotech and pharmaceutical companies. And ultimately with PPD, we'll be able to run the clinical trials for those companies. And those that are successful, will be able to manufacture them in our pharmaceutical and biotech factories as well. So really from the very beginning of the process, all the way through an approved medicine will be the partner of choice for biotech and pharmaceutical companies. All right, so I don't want to just rule out the pandemic. I've had three PCR tests in the last six days. 
it, it just seems to be part of our life now. Uh, I went to a dinner party last week. Everyone had to get a PCR test. Uh, did yeah. something make it so that even though we know that Thermo Fisher has a lot going for it, PCR is going to be with us maybe for the rest of our lives? So, you know, PCR pre-pandemic has played a very substantial role in molecular diagnostics because the testing is so accurate and it's easy to develop, to develop new you know, applications. If there's a new disease or a new target of interest, it's fairly easy to develop that for PCR. And you saw us scale that up in response to the pandemic. And, you know, to date, since March of 2020, about three quarters of a billion PCR tests have been run on our, on our technology around the world. It's a staggering number. And when I think to the future, you know, we, you know, in the pandemic phase that we're in today, we're still seeing very robust demand for PCR testing. And as it gets to an endemic phase, when it's not as widespread around the world, doctors are still going to want to know whether somebody is presenting with COVID or a different respiratory um, disease. And, and therefore, we think there's going to be some longevity to testing demand going forward. Speaking of longevity, you've got numbers in China that are unlike pretty much every other company. It's almost as if China and the United States were never kind of having a trade war. What is the secret behind doing so much business in China that so many other people seem to be missing? So, Jim, we've been in China for about 40 years, and we have a very strong local presence, and we help the country control air pollution ensure food safety for their population, help them produce medicines, things that are really essential roles. And we manufacture in China. And we also import into China from our factories in the U.S. And we've been a good company supporting, you know, that local market. And we've enjoyed very strong growth. In the last decade, we averaged about 15% organic growth. and, And we have high expectations for our growth going forward. The trade tensions are real. Um, and we're going to navigate them to the best of our ability and make sure that um, we support whatever the policies are um, that Western Europe and the U.S. has with regards to China. All right, uh, one last question, Mark. When all this started, I remember speaking to you before we even thought about having to do PCR tests. And you were ready. Uh, you were one of the few executives I ever spoke to that was ready for a pandemic. Most people were completely caught off guard. What is your overall uh, takeaway of what happened and what could happen again? So, you know, our takeaway in terms of what happened was I think the world was surprised at the speed at which it would spread. And, you know, it took a while for the world to mobilize, but it has really proven that we're in the era of science. What the pharmaceutical and biotech industry has done to respond with vaccines and you're seeing therapies start to come out, it's remarkable in terms of how short the time frame has been and it's making a real difference. And what I'm very encouraged for the future is that basic funding and scientific research looks strong. The U.S. is talking about ARPA-H, which is a, a way, like a defense contract, planning for the future challenges so that we're ready for the next problem as opposed to thinking about things that have happened in the past. And that's really encouraging because the world will be better uh, equipped to fight whatever next challenge comes. Well, I, I hope people understand that when things, when things people thought were not going to be that important and it wasn't going to be a terrible pandemic or even a pandemic, Mark recognized that it was. So when Mark is optimistic, and he has the right to be since he was pessimistic at the beginning, I feel much better, and you should too. That, I want to thank Mark Casper, Chairman CEO of Thermo Fisher, one of the heroes, one of the heroes of COVID-19. We have money back here Coming up, a storm is coming. 
So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time. Seven to the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Let's keep that time. The lightning round comes on the start with Revo in Florida. Revo. Revo, booyah, from Miami, Florida. I uh, got FTAG. I bought it at the COVID crash last March, and uh, been doing pretty good. Getting paid every month. What do you think? Uh, I think it's, it's a very good read. I happen to like Realty, uh, Realty Income, which is letter O. Thank you, Matt Horry, for telling me about that one. He does a lot of work on the REITs for me, uh, but yours is good, too. Let's go to Bob in Maryland. Bob. Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking the call. Oh, you're welcome. I don't understand. I don't understand why Meritor, M-T-O-R, remains so undervalued. They've beaten consensus on both revenue and EPS in each of the last four quarters. They're looking to make 240 per share for the current year. Yep. They're carrying an FTE of six on next year's I know, but remember, sir, what's happening here is all those kinds of companies are under pressure because people feel that there are supply chain issues and they won't be able to build enough uh, trucks. Uh, and they won't be able to build enough cars, and so therefore Meritor doesn't do well. I think you must hold on to this, sir. Let's go to Nick in New Jersey. Nick! Booyah, Jim! Booyah. Nick from Scotch Plains, New Jersey. How are oh, you? Oh, my God. I, I, I love playing Scotch Plains. I was a good coach. <laughs> we, we beat you. You beat us. About 500. What's up? Excellent. Well, I'm calling to ask about Array Technologies, global provider of ground-mounted solar yeah. trackers. Look, I would buy Enphase up here versus doing that. I'm not kidding. Enphase, even after today's run, represents better value than that stock. Let's not go down the food chain. Start at the top. Dennis in Texas. Dennis. A big sad booyah from Austin, Texas, Jim. Oh, man, how you doing at one of the fast-growing cities in America? What's happening? Oh, it's beautiful. I love it, Texas. Hey, uh, I'm calling about my stock, MP Materials, Durer Earth Miner and Processor. I bought it three weeks ago for 29 and yesterday it dropped from 38 to 33 based on this critical report from Grizzly Research. They say it's the same failed repack business, that the same operations team led to the bankruptcy of Mali Corp 10 years ago. And it's under Chinese government control. Projected revenues are unattainable, Jim. What should I, I do? Mean, I, I, I see this rap again and again on these guys. Now, I, I was critical of them for selling stock, but, but it hasn't done anything. It's actually held up better than a lot of the SPACs. But, you know, look, I think the stock is not going to go down much from here. Uh, that story is old, I feel, and they just brought it out again. They knocked the stock down, and I guess they're happy. Uh, I guess that's what they wanted. Let's go to Marvin in Arizona. Marvin! Hey, Jim, thanks a lot for taking the call. Of course. Um, stock I'm looking at pays a special dividend twice a year, along with its regular dividend. I'm talking about OMF, one main holding. Yeah, you see, now, I, I when I see personal auto loan, I always uh, hesitate. I think it's probably, let's have them on. I mean, I, the reason why I say this is because, these businesses can be done. Uh, companies can lose money in this stuff. And so I want to know more about these guys. It's important. It, it just seems too cheap. I don't get it. It's like at four times earnings. I got to figure out what's wrong. Uh, let's go to John in Missouri. John. 
Hey, boo, y'all, Jim. Thank you for everything you do for us home gamers here, buddy. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. What's going on? Uh, I want to see what you think about Amphenol, ticker APA. I've always liked Amphenol. Amphenol is just the building blocks. It's the, the plumbing. It's what it's just the, the cables that are everywhere, and they're omnipresent. Amphenol is a buy. I want to go to Donald, Mount State, New Jersey. Donald! Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Yo, my name is Donald O'Malley from Jersey City, New Jersey. And my partner is Pamela O'Neill. Jim, you were bullish on Nokia about a month ago. N-O-K. Are you still bullish? Nokia's coming around. Nokia's actually getting better. Now, it's not going to be a straight line, but if the company is not, it's out of the critical, it's, it's, it's out of critical care. Uh, it, it's recuperating. I think that's the best way to look at it. We need one more. We need to go to Bob in Connecticut. Bob. Hey, booyah from Guilford, Connecticut, Jim. Hey, all thanks right. for all your hard work over the years, helping us out. Thank you. So, I want to ask want to ask you about Radware, LTE, symbol RDWR. You know anything security solutions like that, I'm going to like, but I do want to come back over and over again. Palo Alto Networks is the best. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. All right, we got to talk about... uh Something pretty bitter. Uh, I'm talking about last night's Robinhood call. The one that sent its stock plunging more than 10% today because it was really kind of, it was disappointing. You know, I spend a tremendous amount of time talking to regular people like you about stocks. I love it. I do it even if it wasn't part of my job. I was in Mexico City Airport the other day and a terrific kid gave me a huge hug when he saw me, saying I was his hero for getting into stocks. Flight attendants on both planes south and north were stock aficionados too. They even said they invested because of me. I have to admit, I eat this stuff up. I'm proud of it, which is one of the reasons why we started the investment club. I want to teach people how to be better at managing their money. The thing is, the vast majority of the people I meet, and virtually all the younger ones, have accounts with Robinhood. I always thought that was a good thing. An easy-to-use app coupled with some homework can yield remarkable results. I saw Robinhood as a commission-free gateway to riches for a new generation thinking long-term. But after last night's quarter, I'm just not sure. I'm starting to worry that many of the people who've gotten involved through Robinhood are either getting uninvolved because they lost a lot of money in spec SPAC stocks or the like, or they're moving into something with more action. I mean, maybe DraftKings? Pro football's pretty exciting this year. After last night, it looks like the average Robinhood customer, 31 years of, of age, with a median account of $240, is less inclined to invest in stocks and more inclined to speculate on cryptocurrency, including stuff like Dogecoin. That's the repository of nothing but Elon Musk's sense of humor. Now, it's true that Robinhood's trying to offer some education here, and they say they'll soon be ready to offer retirement accounts. But this enormous interest in the least safe of the cryptosphere stocks. And remember, I, I, I favor Ethereum and Bitcoin, but this one, uh-uh. I'm talking about the real speculative crypto. Uh, well, it, it's not like, I can't condone it. Again, do you really want to own a, a stock in an enterprise that's surprisingly hostage to Dogecoin volumes? Well, I endorse owning some crypto as inflation insurance. It shouldn't be your whole portfolio. It certainly should be that one. On the conference call, CEO Vlad Tenev touted Robinhood's successful rollout of 24-7 live support. I like that. That's good safe. Where customers can get help on any topic, including crypto. 
Given that he also talks about the huge interest in Dogecoin, well, that, though, I, I got to wonder, what kind of advice are these people getting? Is Robinhood telling them about the value of diversification? Maybe about investing versus speculation? About the hazards of options? About owning stocks, say, is a great, great way to build wealth? About the stuff we do for the club, or at least some of the rudimentary things that we talk about here? The old Robinhood company was a company that really was just terrific. It, it got people started as investors by letting them buy shares, even fractional shares, one of the companies they wanted to own for the long term. The new Robinhood makes me wonder if there are simply 22 million souls out there chasing the hottest of the hot. I'm glad the flight emphasized safety as his first priority. That was good. But if Dogecoin is the coin of the realm, what exactly does daredevil behavior look like? Is this really investing, or is Robinhood merely the logical heir to a game like Candy Crush? As a 19-year-old told me a week ago at Bar San Miguel that I asked Vlad Tenev about. If Robinhood wants to get his groove back, I think he needs to go back to the basics. Getting people involved in the stock market. Owning a piece of America. I, I don't want to find out that the average 31-year-old user started out with 500 and now is down to 240 because of excessive trading and speculative securities if you can even call some of them securities. Failing that, well, we got to start thinking, should Robin be part of a large institution? Maybe we also should uh, forget about its current $30 billion valuation because it's simply not sustainable unless they do what I say. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 